People get persecuted for this. She was an extremely gifted psychic medium, and unfortunately, she married a very conservative religious guy who looked at her ability as somehow when, when my abilities started to manifest, my dad was very upset. And I remember he said to me, he goes, Mark, people who see things that aren't there get taken away. And it scared me, and then he explained to me, you know, that, that the only talk to, talk to your mother and I about it. Well, that day, uh, a crane was lifting thousands and thousands of steel beams with a cable snare. Flat like a pancake that killed everybody in it. So if he'd been at work, there's a darn good chance that he would die. Well, he would think that he would have been so ungrateful. Instead, he had her committed to a mental institution. Tonight, Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer. He's a fourth generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He's also a successful attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. That and more coming right up on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. My Alien Life Podcast. In the studio tonight is Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer. Mark is a fourth generation psychic medium, an attorney and the author of Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity. Both books offer insight into the spirit world and Mark Anthony is here tonight to offer us more insight into that world. Mark, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Thank you, Cameron. I appreciate you having me on the show and I'd like to thank all the listeners for tuning in. Yeah, good evening, everybody. And and uh, tonight, Mark, we're we're uh, celebrating together Friday the 13th, and I appreciate you having the courage to hang out with me, and, and tonight we have a lot to talk about, don't we? We do. Uh, Friday the 13th is, is uh, an auspicious day. And you know, Cameron, um, the National Phobia Institute, and there actually is a, a you know, it is a real thing, has, um, they, they've estimated there are close to 30 million people in the United States that have 
uh, a fear of Friday the 13th, which is technically called frigatrisca decophobia. And that's why when you go into an office building or um, a hotel, try to find the 13th floor in the elevator or try to find the 13th floor in the building. And there are so many people that won't leave their house. They won't go to work. Uh, they, they will change travel plans that it's been estimated every time there's a Friday the 13th, businesses nationwide in the United States lose $2 billion every Friday the 13th. So it's, uh, it's a rather auspicious day for a lot of reasons. Those are huge numbers, and I know the numbers are real. And uh, what what I really wanted to ask you tonight, you know, we'll t- we can talk about Friday the 13th too, but why do so many of us want to communicate with the dead? And um, when so many of us, you know, communicate very poorly with the living, especially now with with so much media and, and um, the ability to text and whatever, we seem to lose touch with each other face to face. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Um, we have the most sophisticated ability to communicate with other human beings in the history of this planet and it's actually making things worse you know people don't don't pick up the phone and call they insist on texting um even people now are treating emails like uh we used to treat snail mail and it it is really really fascinating that with all of this enhanced technology it's actually creating poor social skills people are no longer conversing But to answer your question directly, why are so many people interested in communicating with the dead? Well, nothing is more painful than losing the death of a loved one. And it it goes a hundredfold for a parent who has lost a child. Uh, The bond between parent and child is like none other. It's devastating. It, It can cripple somebody emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the rest of their lives when when the child dies. And even though people may turn to their faith communities and read scripture uh, that talks about everlasting life, it simply doesn't help. And the reason for that is you can read all the books, you can go to all the church services, and I'm not saying don't do that. And always reach out to your faith community and, and caring family and friends. But for a lot of people, the direct experience to hear from the spirit of the person who died it validates your belief system that there is everlasting life. And it also shows, Cameron, that somebody that meant so much to you, someone that you love so much, did not just disintegrate into nothingness, but that who and what they are continues on in a different state. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that um, is very important when you, when you say that word validation, because obviously... Um, we want to know perhaps that we may be meeting them in the future. And that's our, that's our hope. But um, any other reason that people communicate other than that validation? I mean, is there a, is there, is there other meaning for other people that's, that's, that's less um, friendly? It's not just validation. Um, Spirit communication is an important therapeutic step in the journey to grief. And it can also bring, Uh, messages of love, healing, and resolution. I mean, there's a lot of times uh, somebody uh, that you love dies, and maybe you are not on speaking terms with that person, or maybe the last thing you said to them was something unkind, or maybe you felt that, gee, I could have done something different, um, uh, or if I would have insisted on this medical treatment, they would have lived. Because in the wake of someone's death, Cameron, there's a lot of issues of guilt, remorse, and regret. 
and spirit communication can, can rectify those. It can also bring resolution and disputes that people had. Um, it, it also lets people know that, that not even death can kill love. Now, I also know that there's a lot of people in the, um, the, the paranormal investigation field, and I've been on several paranormal investigations, and you know, they, they like to analyze uh, spectral phenomenon or spirit communication from, from, let's say, a more scientific standpoint to see that if there is actually a means of, of proving the existence of an afterlife based on sound scientific principles. And uh, that, that's why I like uh, paranormal investigation, because it does start providing evidence uh, through technology, through the scientific method, which is objective um, observation, that can prove that when we die, that the energy that's within our brain, which you and I may call the soul, and in the realm of uh, psychology they call the consciousness, um, does not just cease to exist. And we know this from the laws of physics, the laws of thermodynamics, that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. So the electromagnetic field in the brain, a.k.a. the soul, the spirit, transfers out of that brain and to a higher frequency, and if I, if I can uh, be so bold, to a different dimension. But that doesn't mean that it's inaccessible, and it also doesn't mean that we can't communicate with discarnate intelligence, meaning spirits. So that sounds very tangible to me, and I'm very impressed that you're a, you're a, you're for the school of the scientific method. And I've asked in the past other people too, and it it's you answered every question I would have had. But this is a physical property of a person. I mean, they still exist in a physical realm, just in a different frequency that we can't reach out and touch. Correct? Exactly. And it, the way I've been studying this for years. Um, I'm an attorney, and now um, I'm, I'm put the focus of my career on spirit communication, on doing readings for people, on lecturing about this. I appear on shows like this as a paranormal expert and a legal analyst, especially when the paranormal and the legal collide, and we can talk about that later. But as an attorney, I've had to, um, I was a prosecutor at one point, criminal offense attorney at another, and then I did complex civil litigation. So I've had to work with scientists, neurologists, physicists, forensic um, uh, uh, experts on, on cases, and I've had to learn what their field of expertise was about so that I could ask them questions on the witness stand or cross-examine the, um, the opposition's uh, experts. And that, that um, give, helped me develop an understanding of chemistry, biology, quantum physics, anatomy, physiology, frequency and how the human brain works that my dad was a nasa engineer you know and he was a part of the whole moon missions and the shuttle program and all of this um, with aerospace so i've been surrounded by science since i've i could talk and to me the spiritual and the scientific are not mutually exclusive and cameron i believe that there is a logical rational explanation for everything based on science and just because our technology may not be able to detect the presence of a soul or we may not be able to put something at this point under a microscope or an electron microscope doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because the theories and the, the scientific hypothesis of today all too often becomes the scientific reality of tomorrow. And I believe that it's just a matter of time 
before science will prove the existence of the afterlife. Um, and also, um, based on uh, my colleagues at the University of Arizona, uh, my, my good friend Dr. Gary Schwartz is working on technology to communicate with spirits. So here you have a first-rate university, and uh, which is which is engaged in the technology to prove that our consciousness does survive physical death. So it's all there. And, and I think that we live in an exciting time where we're going to be seeing this actually happen. Talk about frequency one more time. Let me ask you, if we're at a certain frequency and the afterlife is at a different frequency, do we pass into their frequency more than we pass, they pass into ours? Do you see what I'm saying here? We I know exactly what you're yeah, saying. We, we experience them on a very limited basis. Is it possible they experience us much more? Well, of course, because they are pure energy. Oh, boy, that was a loaded statement. Let me back up a bit. Albert Einstein said roughly 100 years ago, there is no matter. There's only energy which vibrates at different frequencies so as to be perceptible to the senses. And Einstein, Louis de Broglie, Werner Heisenberg, Max Planck, um, Oppenheimer, they all developed quantum physics. And we know from science that everything is made of molecules. Molecules are made of atoms. Atoms are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons. And Einstein and his colleagues put forth the theory, which we now know to be true, that electrons, protons, and neutrons are composed of a smaller particle, the most basic unit of everything, which is quanta and quanta is electromagnetic energy. So Cameron, what that means is that everything in existence at its most fundamental level is the same form of energy, electromagnetic energy. And so a desk um, vibrates at a lower frequency because it's an inanimate object than you do, okay? But the air that you're breathing is also made of quanta. The light that we're seeing is also composed of quanta. The space between the Earth, the Sun, and the stars is all made of quanta. In other words, everything is energy. So Einstein was right about that. So in our human body, you have the brain. And the brain, while it houses our consciousness, a.k.a. our soul, it doesn't create it. Okay, that energy preexists to the body, comes into the body, and then moves on after the body and the brain die. So think of your brain as essentially a computer hard drive. And so when the hard drive crashes, we get uploaded to the cloud. Okay. Now, to answer your question directly about the frequency, so here in the material world, that's what I call our world, let's call that AM radio. Let's call the other side FM radio. And what happens is we can raise our frequency and... Um, and spirits in FM radio, they, they lower their frequency, and occasionally there's a frequency match, okay? The, the reason they are able to uh, observe us and participate more in our world than we are to them is because because they are at such a high vibration, and from our perspective, pure energy, they're not burdened by the lower, slower vibration of being in the material world. So they can zap back and forth between their dimension to ours. We, to perceive them, have to bring up our brainwave frequency to a higher level. 
and people do that in the sleep state or they have visitations or there's people like me that for various reasons we're able to adjust our brainwave frequency to to a higher level so they're always around us it's just that some people are more sensitive to that frequency than others and between the fm radio and the am radio that's the zone where the spirit communication takes place now for the people who are listening to this i'm not saying that we're am and they're fm i'm using this as an example our vibration is lower and slower. Theirs is um, much more rapid because they're pure energy, but there's like a neutral zone, if you will, in between where the frequencies can overlap, and that's where you will perceive a spirit or um, be able to, to communicate with one. I, I hope that answers your question. Good answer. I talked to a gentleman not long ago, and we did a podcast, and we talked about exorcism, and he's an exorcist. So... Basically, he's performing exorcisms, and he also talked about um, inherent evil. So not only are there the, the spiritual remains of, of humans that are, are in this world, but it seems that there, there's other things like um, inherent evil and, and demons. And, and any idea how many different entities exist within this same realm, or are well, they in that same realm? Well, with, with all due respect to your, your other guests, I do not believe in hell. I do not believe in demons. Um, but, I, but I do know that there's a lot of non-human spiritual intelligence on the other side. And a lot of people, if something they encounter something that's non-human intelligent, they don't under, understand it, they immediately label it as negative and evil. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the paranormal research and even mediums is that they're bogged down in Victorian era nonsense that, you know, demons and devils and all that nonsense. There's um, positive and negative energy for sure, but there's different frequencies on the other side. I do not believe in inherent evil in the spiritual sense. However, I believe in inherent evil in the human sense. The devil is the human ego edging God out because whenever something Let's say whenever you do anything negative to another person, you're not acting out of love for that person. You're acting out of your own self-centered desires, the ego. And human beings don't need any manipulative, negative spirits to motivate them to do horrible things to each other. Okay, we, we, we we're, we're very capable of doing that. Our history certainly indicates that it's going on in this world. I mean you know, humans and humanity to other humans is, is basically the story of, of uh, planet Earth. So on the other side, um, while, it, for example, I was in England and I was in a, an area where they said there's a fairy, fairies are here. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, and I walk around, whoa. And there were definitely spirits there that were not human. Then I felt similar spirits in, in uh, Mexico and the Yucatan I felt them on a paranormal investigation in the Rocky Mountains, and I felt them in uh, temples in Japan where they call them kami, which is part K-A-M-I, which is part of the Shinto religion. So it became very apparent to me that there are spirits who are intelligent that are aligned either with plants, minerals, animals. In other words, they're not so much aligned or interested in people. They are associated with either other life forms or other things in this world. And the people who, you know, the devil crowd wants to immediately assume that these are negative and evil simply because they're not interested in us 
or I don't want to say they're hostile to us, but let's say that entities that are more focused on plants could really um, care less about human beings or maybe have an attitude towards humans since we, you know, burn and deforest and and basically, you know, um, exploit uh, uh, natural resources that these entities are aligned with. But that doesn't make them evil or demonic. The idea that there is a central command of evil with a James Bond type villain sitting there like, you know, that to me is is a bunch of medieval Bronze Age, Iron Age, paranoid, superstitious nonsense that we need to let go. Conversely, the idea that God is a neurotic white guy sitting on a throne with a scepter, smiting people because they don't read the King James Version of the Bible and give 10% of their paycheck to a religious organization, is also a bunch of paranoid medieval nonsense. God does exist, and God exists in spite of religion, not because of religion. God is the energy that flows through us, around us, with us, and connects us, which we now know as quantum electromagnetic energy. And there is an intelligence which flows through this, which is the source of all light, power, creation, love, um, and interconnectedness in the universe. So it's time that we get away from the negativity of, of um, this demonic nonsense, and of these rigid religions, which say, my way is the only way, and if you don't believe me, you're going to this mythical place that we call hell. And, I mean, I could sit here, and since it's Friday the 13th, I mean, I could explain the development of hell and where it came from over the centuries, um, if, if you want me to. What about exorcism? Um, you've actually attended one, correct? And you, you've witnessed that? Yeah, I, I I did. I attended an exorcism in the Amazon. Let me back up a second before sure. we get into that. There are different types of mediums. I'm what's known as a mental medium. In other words, um, spirits transmit information to me, and my brain converts it into recognizable concepts based on my memories, feelings, and cultural associations. So that way, the spirit tells me or transmits information to me. I, I present it to you. And then I get, you know, and then you verify what's what's being given to me. Then there's physical mediums. Um, although I know that with, throughout history there have been real physical mediums, which were able to uh, project from their body ectoplasm, which forms the image of the person communicating. I have observed a few people that pass themselves off as, as physical mediums. It is the most ridiculous and absurd thing um, I've ever witnessed. Um, when anyone tells you that you have to sit in a dark room, okay, and have your hands restrained, like there's like, you know, 20 people in a dark room, and the physical meeting sitting there, and they have to play loud music in between the transitions from one spirit coming into the next because of a vibrational thing, please, okay, that's a bunch of uh, leftover Victorian-era hucksterism. So I've yet to see any physical mediums that even come close to to uh, being taken seriously. Then the third type of medium would be a trance medium, which in the U.S. we refer to as channelers, such as Edgar Cayce. Edgar Cayce, known as the Sleeping Prophet, um, he died back in, the, in 1947. He left the Edgar Cayce Association for Research and Enlightenment. I'm, I'm speaking at their Ancient Mysteries Conference October um, 10th through the 13th of, of 2019. But Edgar Casey, he would go into a trance and spirits would speak through him. 
and he gave wonderful medical cures and all types of insights into into God as as energy. Um, and the reason that I'm bringing all this up, Cameron, there's a lot of people who are transmediums and don't realize it. And so what happens is until they learn how to control it, um, other spirits can, I don't want to say possess them, but start to come into their body and and start transmitting information through them. And throughout the centuries, this has been interpreted as demonic possession. And that's why people do these exorcisms, because all of a sudden somebody starts, you know, having a bunch of elementals going through them. There's one soul per customer. Okay, so you, you can't have your soul possessed by a demon because, number one, demons don't exist. Number two, the devil doesn't exist. But there are people who don't know that they're transmediums, don't know how to control it. And it would be a logical conclusion to assume that these people are in some way possessed. So that is is my um, opinion, my conclusion, based on a lifetime study of mediumship of what possession is. What was that like when you found out that you had this ability? I mean, is it traumatic? Is it scary at first? How did you feel? Well, I was three and a half. Um, it was just sort of like I had invisible friends. And this is a genetic trait that runs in my family because both my parents had these abilities. And I've tracked it going back centuries. Um, we know that it goes back at least into the uh, 1800s on both my mother's and father's side of the family. In fact, my mother, her family, they came from Italy. And her grandmother, who would be my uh, maternal great-grandmother, Giovanna, she was actually, um, they, there was a PBS special, uh, I think three years ago, back in 2016, called The Italian Americans. And it was, a, you know, several hours and PBS did it. And there was an entire segment where they focused on Giovanna, um, my, my maternal grandmother, um, and referenced her psychic abilities. And she was known in the New York and North Jersey Italian communities as the woman who knew things because she had these uh, amazing abilities. So it was really cool seeing like, oh, wow, you know, there's actual documented uh, evidence going back to uh, the early part of the 1900s. So for me, spirit communication has never been scary. It's never been terrifying. Um, I look at it as an enhanced ability to communicate with, with a higher realm. And so when I was about three and a half and I started seeing my invisible friends, my parents were also capable of perceiving them. And I'll never forget, like my mom was like, oh my gosh, he can do this. He's, he's one of us. My dad was like, oh my gosh, he can do this. He's one of us. <laughs> you know, because here we go again. Well, because my dad, yeah, well, my dad's family was from Pennsylvania and they were um, Northern Baptists. In fact, his grandfather was a Baptist minister. But his sister, uh, Marjorie, his mother, Isabel, and his grandmother, Grace, his uh, maternal grandmother, were all mediums, including my dad. And, but they kept it under wraps. They didn't talk about it openly. You know, it was sort of this thing that, uh, you know, they did behind closed doors. Whereas on the Italian side of the family, um, Giovanna, uh, she died um, in her 90s. And... People would come in and, like, I don't want to say, they, they showed her great signs of respect up until her 90s. And the, the Catholic Church in that area treated her with the respect they would a mother superior um, because they knew 
that she received, they called it that she was receiving visions of the Holy Spirit. So it just depends on on how people label this and look at it. Um, and so when these abilities start to manifest um, with it, with me, um, my parents were very understanding, and they told me, Mark, you can talk about this with us, but don't tell people outside the house because they won't understand. And then as I started getting older, I saw that, well, not everybody's family is like mine. <laughs> you know, all. it's like we're seeing, yeah, not at all. And uh, especially when you grow up in, in, you know, Florida and there's all the, the Bible thumpy people that, you know, well, that, uh, that the problem with religious people is they find evil everywhere. The devil's true. in the sugar bowl, the devil's in the box of, you know, lucky charms, <laughs> the devil's in true, the garage though? waiting to, yeah, it, it is, you know, and, and it's, it reminds me of something that Abraham Lincoln said. He said that when the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer then everything starts to look like a nail. Right. <laughs> so how prevalent is this? Because, you know, we don't see sitcoms about the family that uh, has a psychic medium. We don't, we don't see that. So um, how often does it happen, and are we just ignoring it? Well, I think that it's much more widespread than people understand. But the problem is, in in uh, people get persecuted for this. Um, my father's sister Marjorie, um, she was an extremely gifted psychic medium, and unfortunately, she married this uh, um, very conservative religious guy who looked at her ability as as somehow evil. And when when my abilities start to manifest, my dad was very upset, and I remember he said to me, he goes, Mark. People who see things that aren't there get taken away, and it scared me. And then he explained to me, um, you know, that that to only talk to talk to your mother and I about this. Well, what I found out when I got older, because I never met my aunt Marjorie, at least not on in, in the you know uh, when she was in this world. Her husband worked at this machine shop at um, at a steel plant in in Pennsylvania, and one day. One morning he was getting ready to go to work, and she said, "You're not going to work. I got a terrible feeling. I'm getting pains in my stomach when I think about you going to work." And she basically threw a fit. And he's like, "Oh, fine. You and that hocus pocus." So he begrudgingly agreed to stay home. Well, that day, uh, a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams, and the cable snapped, and the machine shop that he worked in was crushed, flattened like a pancake, and it killed everybody in it. So if he'd been at work, pretty darn good chance that he would have died. Well, you would think that he would have been somewhat grateful. Instead, he had her committed to a mental institution. Wow. And literally, I mean, an ambulance pulled up, two guys in white coats. She was screaming as they dragged her out of her home, took her to a mental institution, and she was subjected to um, electroshock therapy for over a period of six months. They essentially fried her brain. And my dad and my mom were just horrified that, that he could do this. In fact, my mom said uh, that man would never set foot in our house. She goes, how dare he do that to her? And um, Aunt Marjorie was only a shadow of what she'd once been. And that's because in that time frame, people who saw spirits were thought to be schizophrenics and delusional. Okay. Now let's go a couple centuries ago in, in, in Western Europe. I mean, look at Joan of Arc. 
okay, she was a clairaudient medium who said she was receiving messages from Michael the Archangel, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandria. Okay, you can say, well, she was probably nuts, but for the fact the French army rallied around her and they drove the English out of uh, France in the Hundred Years' War. Okay, so if she was nuts, how did she accomplish that? You see what I'm saying? Um, and then, and then of course, the English capture her and burn her at the stake as a witch. Um, so throughout the centuries, if unless you were part of the clergy and receiving visions of the Holy Spirit, like St. Teresa of Avila and St. Clair of Assisi and St. Francis of Assisi and St. Anthony of Padua and the, the children at Fatima, the, you know, Bernadette at Lourdes, okay, they were all sanctioned as they're receiving visions of the Holy Spirit. If you weren't part of the clergy, you got burned at the stake, hung, or in the case of my Aunt Marjorie, subjected to electroshock therapy. In Islamic countries, um, like in Saudi Arabia, they, they behead you for these, these abilities. So the reason, Cameron, that being a medium, being able to communicate with spirits, being a psychic, being able to foresee future events, um, it's ridiculed, it's persecuted, and that's why it's, it's only now becoming mainstream or more mainstream and more openly discussed. And because a lot of people are afraid of, of what will happen to you. Still, it eludes the mainstream. I mean, we don't have the, the people that perform this and, and make a living and um, want to make a living doing this still have to kind of remain in the shadows a little bit. Is there, do you see any sort of um, enlightenment coming where we're going to accept this? I, I do. And the problem with, um, with psychics is that the history of psychics has been uh, fraught with media, uh, with, um, with fraud. Um, just a few years ago, there was the Rosa Marks case in South Florida and she was part of the gypsy subculture. And I'm not making any negative, you know, comments about, about people of that subculture, but, but, um, you know, when you see the neon signs with the hand and it says psychic see your future and all that, that's probably part of that culture. And you don't, you should avoid that. Um, but she, was persuading people that their loved ones were somehow trapped in hell and that only she could get them out of it. And she built um, people, uh, something like a uh, hundred people out of almost $30 million um, by, by telling them that she, they had to come to her three times a week, like at $1,500 a pop so that she could free their loved ones from hell. And uh, there was a, a famous author. Her name was Jude Devereaux. Uh, her little boy was killed in a car accident, and this this uh, charlatan persuaded her that her little boy um, was was suffering in hell and built almost five million dollars out of this author. Well, luckily um, um, she was arrested and and was convicted, and I think a lot of the money. Uh, least what was left of it was was reimbursed to the victims and that's where things go wrong because rotten apples spoil um, spoil it for the rest of us because there's a lot of legitimate psychics and mediums and um, but but the people that go around and convince you or try to convince you that there's a curse on you that there's a spirit attached to your aura you're being haunted um, that a loved one is in hell and you have to come them for, to them for repeated sessions. 
Those are frauds. Stay away from them. A legitimate psychic or medium, um, you check their, their credentials, their background. If they have a website, read it. If they have a book, you know, certainly read it. And um, talk to other people or read testimonials about them. And um, yes, you know, mediums charge money because, you know, if you're, you know they have to, to support themselves. Um, um, but, but do your research, do your due, due diligence. Also, like with me, I tell people um, you shouldn't have a reading for at least six months after the death of the loved one. It's not because the loved one can't communicate. I mean, spirits can communicate right away. I've been at death side, I mean, deathbeds where people have died and then their spirit comes to me like, you know, moments afterwards. But you need time to get through the initial shock of, of the grief and then get to the point where your emotions begin to stabilize so that then you will get the most out of the spirit communication. And then I tell people, if you do want subsequent readings, please wait at least six months. Okay, if you start getting a, a psychic or a medium says, we come, need to come to you every week, then that's when you turn and run. Because a legitimate psychic and a, legit, a legitimate psychic medium will tell you that you must wait several months between readings because you need to get to a different point in your life, a different place with your grief, um, so that the messages that come through at subsequent readings will pertain to what's going on now and not be duplicates of what you received um, in an earlier reading. Um, because you know, our life is an ongoing process, as is our grief. Um, so anyway, I, I, I hope that answers your question. How do you get started in this? I mean, do you automatically, as a three-year-old, you're able to communicate? Or do you, does this develop as you get older, and are you able to communicate more effectively with practice? How does that work? Um, all of the above. It's like, you know, could Michael Phelps swim when he was three? He probably could, but he needed coaching. He needed practice to develop technique. Um, I was able to perceive psych, uh, psychics. I was able to perceive spirits uh, when I was a kid, and I could feel the presence around. And so then I, I, I got to this one point, you know, my mom would teach me a lot of things like, you know, if you feel this, um, you know, go with that. Don't jump to conclusions. You know, try to be objective about it. And certainly the more you do it, uh, the better better you get at it because it's like, like any other skill. Um, and I remember I went to a mediumship development class. And uh, when it was done, the guy said, hey, Mark, can you hold on for a minute? And everybody else laughed. He goes, how long have you been doing this? I go, well, this is the first time I've ever gone to a class. He said, I've never seen anything like you. He goes, I can't teach you. He said, you're doing this like, like someone who's been doing it 30 or 40 years. And I'm like, really? He said, you've got to go to England. Um, and there's a, a college there, the Arthur Finley College for the Advancement of Psychic Science. And they've developed British evidential mediumship. And they, they approach spirit communication from a scientific viewpoint. And what they do is they tell you, like, okay, when you see this, recognize this. And, and you know, they were, they were giving us different ways of, of approaching it to get the most information that you can from the spirits. So, but, um, but it's not like they enhanced my ability. They just showed me what to look for. And since that time, I've developed um, my own technique and my own way of seeing and explaining things. And it's funny because like when I do mediumship demonstrations, other mediums come to watch 
because they say, you know, we, we like the way that you explain this and, and the way that, that you look at it. Um, so, so it is, it is a gift from God. It is, it is an ability some people have. Not everybody has it. And like any skill set or talent, you know, you need practice and you need to cultivate it. What do you hear, feel? Um, do you actually well, okay, hear voices? During, How during, does this work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I get if people want to find out, like, you know, what happens with me, please go to my website, which is evidenceofeternity.com. Go to my media room. Or just um, once you're on my website, evidenceofeternity.com, click on uh, my YouTube channel. I've got close to 90 videos on there, and there's a lot of them um, where I've been filmed doing readings uh, for, for groups of people. Um, also when I'm on television and doing readings on television. So when, a, when I open up to frequency and a spirit comes forward, what will happen, Cameron, is first I'll feel the gender, then I may get an idea of their connection to the person. Like if they're like a brother, sister, cousin, spouse, friend, or on the parent, aunt, uncle level, or child, niece, nephew. And then you typically, they're going to transmit to me identifiers such as how they died. And I'll, I'll say like, you know, I'm feeling um, like pressure here, here, here. And, and, and sometimes they'll give me the exact um, cause of death. Like today I did a reading and a spirit came through and said perforated ulcers. And I thought the client was going to fall out of her chair, and she goes, well, that's exactly how my dad died. He had a perforated um, ulcer, and she started, you know, in all the, the areas in my stomach and my lower intestines so where I was feeling the pain and the pressure. So when they transmit to me, like, how they died, it doesn't, it doesn't physically injure me, but I do feel the sensation. And then um, I'm going to see things. I may see what they look like, or they'll show me things. Um, like from their life, it's like watching little mini movies and then they'll give me all, I may hear names, uh, they may sing a song or rather project to me a song that has some relevance. I mean, it's, it's every reading's different, but I see, hear, t- taste, smell, touch, um, sense, and sometimes they'll bring up future events that are going to happen to the person that, that I'm doing the reading for. So I'm not a fortune teller. But if a spirit will bring up a future event, and sometimes we don't know it's a future event. They'll, they'll, they'll describe something, and someone says, well, that's, that's never happened to me. And then a month later, I'll get an email and go, oh, my God, that happened to me. You know, so, um, you know people just, are actually out there recording voices. Is that a real yes, thing? Yes, they are. Electric, yeah, the yeah, electric yeah. Uh, voice phenomenon. Yeah. Absolutely, because once okay. again, we're back to frequency. Sure. You know, and so when the spirits are coming out of their dimension and lowering... Um, their frequency and the EVP is able to pick, uh, pick up on things. Um, in fact, um, something like that happened to me. I was at a, a paranormal conference and all of a sudden my manager, she was like maybe a hundred feet away and she's like, Mark, get over here. And I had a bunch of people I was talking to and there, and, and so I walked over there and it was, um, um, a colleague of mine who was selling EVP equipment and I walk up and she goes, Mark, you're not going to believe this. And I walk up, and all of a sudden I hear, dude. And I look at the uh, EVP, and I'm like, I know that voice. She goes, love you, bro. And I almost fell over because it was my best friend who had a year before committed suicide. That was his voice coming out of this thing. 
Wow. And what had happened was Rocky was walking by, and all of a sudden she heard Get Mark come out of this machine. And she's like, what? And the guy goes, that's a Get Mark. And she's looking at him. She goes, I know that voice because she knew my best friend too. And then she yells, hey, Mark, come over. And the thing is, uh, my friend was a surfer. And he always used to call me bro. And he'd go, love you, dude, like that. And, I mean, I actually heard his voice come out of this. And, and this um, paranormal investigator that was selling the EVP, he didn't know any of this. Right. I mean, you know, we were in Colorado. I'm from Florida. Um, he had no idea about any of the connection. And then I'm hearing my best friend's voice come out of this EVP machine. So, you know, the technology is here and it's improving. And we're going to get to the point, like we were discussing before, Cameron, where technology will be able to prove not only do spirits exist, but the afterlife exists, and life is eternal. So I just thought of this huge question, and this is something I don't think I've ever thought about, but you're describing, let me take, for example, you have a, a normal, healthy human being and who is vibrating in a certain frequency, does their spirit vibrate at a different frequency at the same time within that body? And if so, can two people get together and experience each other from a not a not a human, you know, physical, but a but a a spiritual way? I mean, you hear people talk about experiencing somebody spiritually. Is that actually possible? I believe that it is, and there's a whole realm of studies. Uh, the Monroe Institute for out-of-body experiences, which have also been referred to as astral projection. There's that. Um, they focus, yeah, they focus very heavily on that. Um, when people talk about having a spiritual experience or, you know, your spirit touching somebody else's. And that's a very good point that you brought up about, you know, is the spirit within us vibrating at a different frequency? I would, I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Because we are multidimensional beings, and even though we have a spirit that's within our brain, that spirit, once again, we're all interconnected energetically. So that spirit is then interconnected with the quantum electromagnetic fields around us, which tie into um, other dimensions, which tie into um, the collective consciousness of, of all the spirits that are interconnected. So... That's why, like, when I'm called to um, a, a deathbed and the person may be very heavily sedated, but I start to be able to communicate with their spirit because even though this, the, the person is technically, you know, still alive, their consciousness begins to wander. And occasionally I've communicated with people who have been in comas, and I've been there when people are dying and transitioning. And I, you know, the family brings me in and I start telling them all the spirits that are lining up to help that person when they, they leave their body. Um, I was at one deathbed and I identified 27 spirits and the family confirmed who 21 of them were. And the other six, they weren't sure because they figured it was, you know, back on the grandparent or great grandparent level. And the thing is, I didn't know any of these people. I said, well, you know, I was getting names, what they look like, how they died, their personalities and all this. And including this one lady, uh, I said, there's a cat, an orange tabby cat named Harpo. And I'm like, what? 
and all of a sudden the kids they're all looking at each other and they go our mom had a orange tabby cat named harpo 40 years ago okay now when people accuse me of cold reading really how do i cold read that right let's fling out an orange tabby cat and use the name harpo it's and see if specific. i get a hit yeah yeah, <laughs> you know, so for all the people who say you're cold reading, I got two words to say to you. Forgive you. Yes. If you die a traumatic death, does that trauma follow you or can you shake that and not take it no, to the other um, spiritual I, I world? Don't, yeah, that's more that uh, paranoid, primitive nonsense that, that uh, I'm, I'm hoping those of us who approach science uh, from a scientific standpoint, I don't buy the wounded souls, the traumatic death. Here's the thing. When you die, your electromagnetic field pops out of your brain. It's like a drop of water, and then it plunges into the infinity of the collective consciousness, which means now your spirit being pure energy is suddenly linked to other spirits or linked to other spirits, so on and so forth. And you know it right away. But then, Cameron, you might ask, but what about places where ghost hunters and paranormal investigators go, and there's a spirit running around, you know, holding its severed head around, and all that. Yeah, what about that? That's because (laughs) that is residual energy echo, because matter retains vibration. So typically in a place where there has been a violent death, could be a suicide, it could be a murder, it could be, you know, all sorts of things. And the spirit's not there, but the, the... um, it's like dropping a, a, uh, a rock into a pond and the concentric circles, okay, um, emanate from that. But now they keep reverberating back and forth. So it's like an echo that keeps going on and on and on. And so people pick up on the energy being, um, um, the energy being held uh, or bonded to um, a particular area and then they think that this is a sentient spirit whereas that residual energy echo that spirit running around holding its severed head is no more an immortal living being than your reflection in a mirror is you and and so that's why people do the exorcisms and the house clearings and things like that what they're doing is they're breaking that echo they're deflecting it away and so from that standpoint, I'll agree with the exorcists and the house clears, because that's what you're doing. You know, you're deflecting that echo away, literally clearing that, that energy so that that goes away. Because there's three schools of thought on, on hauntings. Uh, the first one's what I just explained, and that's what it is. Number two, that the spirit's somehow trapped here. That's absolute nonsense, because once you're out of your body, you're not sick you're not infirm, you're not mentally deranged. All those are physical and mental illnesses which are um, akin to the body and die with the body. Once you leave your brain, okay, you revert to that immortal state, you're part of the collective consciousness, you're not going to walk around like, you know, haunting some, some, some place, um, although there may be residual echo energy. The third school of thought is that spirits come back to visit a particular area, um, and that's very possible and probably does happen. Um, I'm not really sure why you'd want to go back to where you were murdered, but then again, spirits being pure electromagnetic energy 
are moving at the speed of everything in the electromagnetic spectrum, which is the speed of light. So they could pop in and out and be there for, in their reckoning, a few moments, which, you know, for us could be a couple hours. Um, but the thing is, spirits move at the speed of light. So that's how they're able to come from the other side to here so quickly. So this whole thing about haunted houses and haunted areas, I tend to think it's more the residual energy echo that the material has absorbed, uh, the material as in uh, the ground or the building absorbs that vibration more than it is a spirit hanging out there. Because let me ask you this, Cameron, so you're an immortal living spirit. Do you want to hang out forever in a garbage dump or do you want to go to a beach in Maui? I'd be looking for some sweet digs because just, are, are they exactly. limited? Are they limited uh, though? Is there, is there travel involved there or are you limited to that same area? Well, um, it appears on the other side that there's levels and frequency. What about time and space? Everything. Um, on the quantum level from what, uh, um, physicists um, have theorized there is no time. And that's why spirits and people that have uh, psychic ability are able to foresee future events because what you and I call the future or the past or the present is all a simultaneous thing uh, occurring. It's all occurring simultaneously. Um, I'm, I wrote a chapter about that in my, my new book that I'm working on. Um, and it took me took me a while, quite a while, to kind of wrap my head around that. But you know, once again, we're looking at things from a finite human perspective, and we believe that time exists and moves in one direction. We're on the quantum level, on that basic, fundamental electromagnetic level. There is no time. So for spirits, transcending time and space is like no big deal. For us. You know, we we perceive things on the basis of what we know, and everything that we know and can experience has limitations. Ergo, we think that it's not possible. Gives me a lot to think about. Let's back up a little bit because I had to ask you about exorcism, and um, hopefully somebody wants to know about that. You experienced when and where was that? It was in the Amazon. I was on a uh, uh, research ship, and we were in the Peruvian part of the Amazon. And um, I think we were on the, uh, the Urubamba River, uh, Urubamba or the Ucayali. I, I, uh, they're, they're all in the same region. They all come out of um, the Andes and then feed, uh, feed into the Amazon. And it was really cool because we're on this clankety research boat. There's like uh, maybe a dozen crew, and uh, I think there was only um, a dozen passengers. And the Amazon's intense. I mean, we we at night we were the only source of light, okay? Because we had like floodlights on the top of the boat, and like caught hordes of insects that just be like flooding down these giant bats are swooping around eating the insects. It was like a real trip standing on the deck, like doctor's bath, you know, but it was kind of neat, you know, and, um, and, uh, our guide, he was this really cool, um, um, Amara Indian. His name was Angel. And it was funny, like everyone's calling him the love God of the Amazon, because from what we could tell, he had like 27 children from, you know, eight different women or something. Right. I mean, you know, but he was like really cool, really, really interesting guy. And, 
so we're chugging up the Amazon and we're going by these villages. There's no running water. There's no electricity. I mean, this is as primitive as it gets. And all of a sudden, it was probably maybe about 4.30 in the afternoon, and all these canoes come up to the to um, the boat. And there's all these, uh, uh, you know, these locals in them, and they're, they're talking to Angel. And he turned and he said, the Brujo is in the village ahead. Well, Brujo means witch doctor. And the Brujo said he wanted to invite the Americans particularly um, talks to ghosts, and that meant me. And everyone's looking at me like, how did he know you're here? Well, apparently um, rumors spread as quickly in the Amazon as in gossip as they do anywhere else. Sure. A couple you know, days earlier, we'd been at some village and got around that I was a medium, and I guess it kind of spread up the river. So we, we chug up to this... Uh, um, embankment and you know we take the skiff over to um, this village and there's about 100 people in the village and you know I'm expecting the uh, the witch doctor have like bones you know chicken bones through his nose and feathers and but he walks up and he's wearing a t-shirt and a baseball cap you know? and it, you know it was like uh, you know I was expecting to look you know look, you know look uh, like like you might think you right. know uh, a stereotypical thing from one of those old you know movies but but um, the village was extremely primitive, like and like I said, no no running water, no electricity, and he said that a woman is possessed by demons, and he was going to perform an exorcism, and there was only six of us that were brave enough to go, and I was like, oh, I have got to see this, so we go to this hut, and um, everyone had to sit in a circle, and this woman's laying face down in the middle. Of, of the hut and there was a little fire next to her and it was like her husband I guess and her mother were there and they looked all really scared and so El, the the brujo was explaining what he was doing in in Amara which is a language they speak in this part of the jungle to on hell and then on hell would translate it to us in English and it was really fascinating because he was explaining what he was doing like if we were at Harvard Medical School and the surgeon was saying, I am now, you know, taking the scalpel and cutting the, you know, this and that. And he was explaining it really technically. And he had all these little containers, all these little bottles with these liquids. And he's pouring the liquids on her back and then he's licking her back and slurping it. And then he'd spit this gooey stuff into his his uh, palm of his hand. And I'll never forget because I'm like on my knees and I'm sitting to my left is this botanist, and to the right was this orthopedic surgeon, and his wife was next to him. And this guy spits this big globby thing in his hand and goes, these are the demons. And I can hear the surgeon's wife like, oh, God, <laughs> like that. And he flings this, this glob of phlegm and goo into the uh, fire. Wow. And he says, I re return the demons to the fire of shadows and, and all this. <clears throat> and the orthopedic surgeon whispers to me he goes that woman has a herniated disc in her back so someone who looks perfectly healthy has this horrible pain in her back that nobody can explain so she must be possessed by devils right. and the brujo was called from several villages away to come and exercise the demon out of her okay 
And so this fire is sputtering and spurting. And by now it's dark outside. And then El Brujo looks at me and says something. And Angel um, looks at me and says, he wants to know if the demons are gone. And everybody's looking at me and it's like super awkward, you know, because here we are in the middle of this village, in the middle of a hundred people who believe this is for real. And we're like the six token Americans. And the botanist next to me, she's smiling. She goes, don't blink this up, Mark. <laughs> you, you got a decision so, to make. I got, so I, I look at El Bruno and go, there are no demons here. And it gets translated, and the people are like, yay! And then he goes, now I will prevent the demons from returning. And he gets this herb out, and the botanist goes, oh, dear God, he can't be serious. I go, what? She goes, that's the Peruvian version or the Amazonian version of poison ivy. And he starts whipping this woman's back with it. And you can start seeing the red welts forming on her back. And the orthopedic surgeon's going, oh, my God, I can't believe he's doing that. And he said, she'll feel better in a week. And I'm like <laughs> thinking, well, how could she possibly feel worse? You know, and, and, and so, so like, oh, when it was all over, we were thanking them for letting us do some, boy, we couldn't wait to get back to the ship, okay? Because, you know, we, we, you know this is one of those things that, yeah, these weren't, you know, relatively nice people, but if you said the wrong thing, I mean, nobody knows we're there, okay? So... I was discussing this with the surgeon and the botanist uh, about when we were safely back on the ship. Um, and he said that, well, yeah, she'll feel better because there's this terrible inflammation. And when, and she's going to be in excruciating pain for several days. And then when the poison ivy begins to subside, she'll think she's better, but he says it's not going to cure the herniated disc. So, yes, I have seen an exorcism because. People, and I, and I mean no disrespect to, to the, the indigenous population in this area, but they're ignorant of medical science and neurology. And so, therefore, um, a pain of unknown origin in a person who looks young and healthy, it can only mean the unknown, which they interpret as something negative and evil and scary. Ergo, she was possessed by a devil. And then he's doing all this stuff with poison ivy where she'll feel worse and then feel better and think that to some extent the devil has been exercised or contained. Wow. So, so that is, is what people have to realize in all these exorcisms and all this. Yeah, there could be spiritual entities taking part here. But before we leap into the arms of fictional Satan, it could be a spiritual entity that's a non-human intelligence that we need to persuade to leave. And I guess from that standpoint, it is an exorcism, but I don't believe in the guy with the pitchfork and the eternal damnation because that was just, um, it's an outmoded primitive superstition coming from the bronze age. Right. So you're also an attorney. How do these two worlds yeah. collide in a practical application? For you well they're both about helping people and they're both about evidence and it's because of my background as an attorney that I approach what I do as a medium with objectivity and I don't jump to conclusions and um, also that as a medium I'm an evidential medium so I could say to you oh 
your grandmother's here and she loves you because, well, everybody's grandmother loves them. But um, I have to present evidence that um, specific facts, data, things that um, I could not possibly know uh, that indicate who the spirit is and then start to bring forth messages of love, healing and resolution that are beneficial to you or, um, you know, to someone close to you. Um, and so, so that is how the two, two coincide. Also, I've been, um, called to, um, assist police and in investigations. Um, the case that I did, um, if you look on my website, uh, evidenceofeternity.com, go to my YouTube site. When I was on the doctors, the information that I gave helped lead to the arrest of, of the killer in a cold case. And I was also um, asked to, um, to provide information uh, for a mini-series, The Disappearance of Crystal Rogers, um, behind the scenes, and everything I gave coincided with the investigation. So um, it's because my legal background, you know, um, they, they tend to look at me more credibly than, than other mediums. Right. Before we go tonight, if you could, I would love it if you could tell everybody about your two books, Letting Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity, because those are both available on Amazon and, and Goodreads. Um, what do we expect in those? Well, Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity, yes, they're, they're available on Amazon and in all fine bookstores. Um, uh, Never Letting Go has been recommended by hospices and grief counselors worldwide. It's in several different languages. And it's a guide on the journey through grief. Um, it will teach you how to recognize uh, signs from spirits, and it will bring you messages of healing and resolution based on um, information transmitted from spirits. So basically, it's how spirits reach out from the other side to help people endure the grieving process. And a lot of people find this book particularly um, healing and helpful in the um, early stages of grief. It's like when you're in that fog and you're looking for something to help you get through. Um, evidence of eternity bridges the gap between the spiritual and the scientific by explaining the afterlife and spirit communication based on uh, science, theoretical physics, human physiology, and evidence. And I do believe that faith and science are not mutually opposed but what people of faith have always known about the afterlife and eternal life is now being proven through quantum physics. And uh, Evidence of Eternity was the first book of this genre to be up for a Pulitzer Prize. Um, so um, I'm you know, very, very honored very cool. and, and humbled by how both of my books, um, they're in like a dozen different languages. Um, Evidence of Eternity is an audio book, and Never Letting Go will soon be an audio book. And they are available worldwide. And people can find out about them on my website, evidenceofeternity.com. What's coming up, Mark? Where can we see you? Oh, gosh. I'm going to be in October 10th through the 13th in Virginia Beach at the Edgar Casey Center for the um, at, um, Edgar Casey Center or at their Ancient Mysteries Conference. And the nice. presentation I'll be giving is rulers, royals, psychics, and spirits, the mystics behind the thrones of power. And it's a really fun and exciting presentation. And then after that, I'll be doing a mediumship uh, demonstration for, for the crowd. 
then in November, um, between the 8th and the 12th, I'll be in Houston. I'll be on uh, the CBS Morning TV show, Great Day Houston, on KHOU, uh, with host Deborah Duncan. She's amazing. And then I'll be at Body, Mind, and Soul, uh, which is a very popular metaphysical bookstore for two nights of spirit communication. Um, then I will be speaking in Sarasota in December at a spiritualist church and also for a group for parents who've lost children um, here in Florida. So if people want to find out about um, the 20, my 2019 tour and my upcoming 2020 tour, please sign up for my newsletter and visit my website at uh, evidenceofeternity.com. You can also find out about booking a telephone reading with me, which is just as accurate as an in-person reading. And uh, Cameron, we were talking before we went on air. You're based out of Montana. You bet. Um, I'm really hoping that in, in uh, 2020 that I'm going to be getting to Wyoming, uh, Montana, the Dakotas. Um, I'm really fascinated in that part of the country. And so, um, so everyone wants to keep up with my tour schedule. Please sign up for my newsletter, um, and that'll keep you updated on all that. And that's evidenceofeternity.com. Cameron, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's It's been a pleasure. Get to Montana, Mark. It's beautiful. Mark Anthony has been my guest. And both books, Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity, are available on Amazon.com. And you can find Mark at his website, www.evidenceofeternity.com. Mark, before you go, I'd like you to give us tonight's final word. You know, all religions teach one thing that can be crystallized down to two words, be nice. And it may sound easy, but it's, it's a lot harder than you might think, particularly when you're in traffic. But it comes down to this. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be nice. Mark Anthony, thank you very much. You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. Thank you.